thing. Middle of the show, what do we do? Left, right, and center. Of course, Bob Metz and Marion Boyd, my guests in the studio. Welcome to both of you. Nice to have you nice both to here. Be here. Good morning, Jim. I'm uh, a little intrigued, more than a little intrigued, by what's happening in Alberta and relative to health care. Bill 11, I think, is the provincial bill that, that Ralph Klein has put forward that will allow certain uh, clinics to be established and surgical procedures and so on and so on that people will be able to access outside the regular uh, Medicare system. Uh, I was on the internet this morning and reading some commentary from uh, um, some journalists in the Edmonton Sun, among others, and there were a couple there on e either side of the story. It was kind of interesting. Uh, one of them calling on Ralph to back off before it was too late, to change his mind before disaster struck, and another one saying, you know, way to go, Ralph. The people of Alberta are behind you. This is what we want, and, and keep up the good work. Keep fighting the good fight. Yeah, Klein, of course, is taking kind of a... a uh, frontline stance on this issue, and it's an issue that, that uh, is of concern in provinces across the country. It's the argument that the Canada Health Act does not necessarily serve the health needs of Canadians as effectively as it was intended to, and that there may be room for some modification to the act. The federal government said categorically, at least last I heard categorically, there will be no fiddling with the Canada Health Act, period. Thanks for coming out. Um, Klein has said, well, that's not good enough, and we're going we're gonna to fiddle in uh, Alberta to meet the needs of Albertans and, and ideally to improve health care overall. The theory, as I understand it, and I'll ask my guests to comment, the theory, as I understand it, is that if you provide or allow people to access certain medical procedures and services for which they now go outside of Canada, and here we are talking about people who have the money to do this. This, this is not for everyone. But um, the figures last year, and I was trying to remember earlier this morning, I couldn't find them in my files, but there was a figure last year, and it was, I believe, into the hundreds of millions of dollars that is being spent on medical services outside the country by Canadians to, to Q-jump, to go to the head of the line if they've got the money. My understanding is that Klein's belief and the belief of those who support him is that we just ought not be losing that money. It doesn't make any sense to lose that money. So we have to create some kind of system in Canada whereby those people can access those services and at least keep their Canadian dollars in Canada without compromising the services that are available for everyone else. Now, in theory, and again, I'll defer to both my guests' uh, superior knowledge on this, if, in fact, they have superior knowledge, which they usually do. Um, in theory, the, the, uh, the money that goes into that second tier, if you want to call it, or a substantial amount of that money, is supposed to be funneled back into the broader healthcare sector. Supposed to be. That's the theory. If we're going to set up access for people with, uh, with more money to spend, we're going to allow them to spend the money to get the services, but they're not going to be able to push anybody out of the way. They don't literally go to the head of the line. They go to another line. And the money from that other line is funneled back into the primary health care system, thereby improving the quality of health care for everyone. That's the theory as I understand it. And, Marion, uh, how do you understand it? Is that what, if theoretically, is that what they're, what they're trying to do here? I, uh, I, I think that's the defense that's usually used by people who want to privatize uh, in the, in the health care system. The reality is there's a lot of money to be made out of privatized health care. And the reality is that the uh, medical uh, association out there, who one would think would be in favor of this, has in fact come out against it because they believe that it's going to end up costing the taxpayer more in the long run. And they do that because they're looking at a uh, system, particularly the system in Australia, which is the one that Klein says he's looked at yeah. in order to do this. If he's looked at it, he didn't look at it very well because he didn't look at the reality that, in fact, it is costing 
more to support private hospitals as well as public hospitals. And what happens, of course, is that the people who make the money are the insurance companies because people thinking that they can get ahead will then buy private health insurance mm -hmm. so that they can afford to go the private uh, route and the lineups are bigger everywhere. Um, Thomas Wacom had a series of articles in the uh, Toronto Star over the last weekend talking about the situation in Australia, uh, talking to the people who own the private hospitals, mm -hmm. who are now saying they have to get out of the business because they're not making any money, mm -hmm. talking to the head of the Australian Medical Association, who says, uh, you know, who's, who's a really gung-ho private medical care uh, uh, person, as, as some of these folks are, who says very clearly... Uh, the reason to do privatized medicine is uh, is not to save the public money. Bob, let me uh, ask you a kind of a corollary question to that. If the Australian example has not been a successful one, um, should we be abandoning a movement in this direction, or do we look for what they did wrong and try to do it right? Well, you always try and do it right. Um, they followed us, uh, incidentally. You know, mm -hmm. what Klein is calling private, I don't call private. From what I read, Bill 11, is that it, you can't queue jump. The government's still paying the bills to the private clinics that they're setting up, mm -hmm. and you still can't pay on your own. So they're not changing anything. All they're doing is broadening the base of service. And uh, essentially, that will cost our system more because it's a nonprofit system. It's based on basic deficit financing, pay as you go. Mm -hmm. You know, Rob Peter to pay Paul. And uh, so I don't really see any fundamental change. All they're trying to do is track back some of those dollars that are leaving the country because the services here you have to wait for it that you don't have to wait for in the state. But you see, that's not true in terms of what they've done with the eye clinics, for example, out there. And we, we have to keep in mind, this is not an entirely new process. Uh, in in uh, Alberta, uh, a number of years ago, they, they privatized all eye surgery, basically. Mm -hmm. If you saw the expose on, I believe it was CBC, but it might have been CTV because it was one of those, those two shows, talking about what actually happens. For cataract surgery, you're supposed to go through the normal process. Mm -hmm. But if you have a retina detachment or if you have some other changes, implantation of, of different lenses and so on, then the, the required lens with a cataract uh, operation, then you can go and get these and and do this privately mm -hmm. but the reality is they started to interview people who'd gone through they were getting the the very same instruction that they would have got if it had been normal cataract surgery mm -hmm. in other words they're going around around the rules mm -hmm. and normal cataract surgery people were paying for in order to jump the queue so there's already an experience in alberta that shows that although all of the the rules and regulations are there to say you can't jump the queue there's proof that in fact people jump the queue all the time with respect to cataract surgery there. But we had an example, though, right here in the City of London, speaking of cataracts, of where the Canada Health Act has negatively impacted on the health, the health delivery, and that is in the same area, cataract surgery. Um, uh, not so very many months ago, if you went in for cataract surgery, you had the choice of two kinds of implant lenses. One was a hard lens, one was a soft lens. Both of them did a, a good job. The advantage, I'm told, of the soft lens was the, the surgery was a little bit less intrusive. The, the incision was a little smaller because they could fold it and so on and so on, but the, the ultimate outcome was, was negligible. The difference was negligible. People were given the option of buying the soft lens if they wanted to do that for an additional, I think, $230. And I'm told that the majority of people said, yeah, sure, I'd rather have the soft ones. The, the recovery time's a little quicker and so on and so on. Um, the, I want to make sure I get this straight now. That had gone on for some time. 
most of the patients had volunteered, not volunteered, but had said, yes, I'd rather pay the extra money for the soft lens. The people who did not, in some cases, were getting it anyway. The ophthalmologists were putting it in anyway. Uh, and in other cases, people got the hard lens, which was not, in no sense, I'm told, inferior to the soft lens. Um, Canada Health Act says you can't do that, and someone in Toronto in the health ministry uh, got wind that this was going on. I don't know whether it's just in London or whether it was wider spread, but it certainly was in London. Communicate came down the road and said, you cannot do this anymore. Everybody gets the soft lens. Everybody gets the soft lens. Well, who pays for this? Well, you do. The hospitals, you pay for it. Well, we don't have the money. Well, then you'll just have to deliver that service as you can. What what happened effectively, or literally overnight, was the waiting list for cataract surgery in London went from one year to two. Now, people point at that and say, okay, the, Can the Canada Health Act is supposed to help people. It's supposed to ensure equity, equity across the board, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what it's done. It's Who successful. It's Jim, done. Jim, think about this. Do you know anything about cataract? Uh, do you know, know anything about yeah, my mother, contact lenses? Yeah, my mother-in-law no, just, just had cataract surgery in contact November. Contact lenses? Soft contact lenses are cheaper than hard contact lenses. But these aren't contact lenses. These are the implant lenses. Well, I know, but it's the same process. Well, I don't know that. I wouldn't say that. I, as long as Canada has a Canada Health Act, there is no private health con uh, coverage well, in this country I want to back up and say, I don't understand the point you're trying to make there. I, I, I think, I know, you, you got the story that we all got in the newspaper that this was the problem. I, I would suggest to you that um, it, I, I doubt very much that there is a $250 additional cost to these lenses or that there would be with the kind of numbers who would be using it. I think that's what the health ministry was worried about. That somebody was making money on these lenses? Yes. And that somebody was willing to pay for it. See, that's to me the only issue. If you've got two willing partners, the government's got no business sticking its nose between them. Even if that were the case... Now think about it. But even if it were the case, Mary, and now you've got to wait two years if my mother-in-law needs another cataract operation. And, and why do you have to wait two years? Why, why did that make a difference? The eye surgery is going forward. Why do you have to wait two years? Because the, Are we, have we got fewer doctors? No, the have we got yes, fewer hospitals? We will have fewer doctors. As a matter, matter of fact, one ophthalmologist has already left, and I'm told there's another one's getting ready to leave because they can't do enough surgery to keep their skill levels up because the hospitals have to pay for the surgeries. And included in that is the cost of these lenses. And they've only, so they tell us, got X number of dollars per year to, to, to spend we, on the lenses. You mean they've, they have, put a quota on? Is that what you're saying? We that have the hospitals fewer doctors. Well, the, gov doctors. the government, the, the, the budget's put a quote on. The, the budget says you've only got this much money to spend. But you see, this is a real issue here because we talk about, uh, the, 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 there's this mythology that there's no quota in terms of health care. There are quotas in every area where the health ministry has said, you may only do X number of surgeries. We're only going to support X number of surgeries. But they haven't said X number of surgeries. What they say is we'll only give you X number of money for that kind of surgery. Yeah. And if you can do them for half the price, God bless you. But you can't, that's not the reality. Well. So don't, the point I'm trying to make is here's a situation where, and I'm not saying dismantle the Canada Health, health Act, holus bolus, but here's an example where it, it, they, they stepped in and enforced the letter of that law and what it means is people like my mother-in-law, she needs another cataract operation. Instead of waiting for a year at age 80, she'll have to wait two years to get it. And prior to that dictum coming down from Toronto, she could have had it in a year. It would have cost her a couple hundred dollars that she was glad to pay, had the operation away she goes. So equity has been served, certainly, but has the, has the individual patient been served? Well, I think you, you're, you're missing out on the politics of this. I mean, part of the politics of this that you have to remember is that there, there is a certain uh, element uh, uh, of the way 
physicians deliver services that is that is quite quite coercive. I mean, it's I'm going to take my mar- marbles and go if I don't like exactly the way things are going on. Yeah, but we all do that. We all yeah, do why that. Should doctors okay. be why should they be any different? Well, because actually we pay a very big buck for their training for one thing. Ophthalmologists well, in particular. Well, we pay for everyone's training. We have a public health education system that in, doesn't distinguish between doctors and lawyers and plumbers. Everybody gets a free education. But we pay a great deal more to educate doctors. Well, that's why we shouldn't. That's why we should privatize education as well. I mean, the oh, answer across geez. the board is privatize everything. Really. <laughs> That's always what your message is. Well, your message was always government, more spending, longer lineups. I don't see that as a solution, and I think it's immoral to boot. I I can't, I cannot morally, economically, just even in a plain common sense wise, justify government getting involved and telling people that they can't have this relationship with their doctors. If we're going to privatize health care in this country, we have to privatize not only the providers, but the insurers. We have to privatize the consumers as well. We have to have a Canada Health Act whose purpose is not equity, but helping those who cannot help themselves. And immediately, we will double the cost of the delivery of health care. You've got to remember who cares? that in the United... As long as we can double the time it takes to get through the hospital, as long as our hospital cut it in half gets more... Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, cut it in yeah. half, or speed up the whole process, or get the people who are willing to and able to pay out of the lineups that, with the people who aren't willing or able to pay. That's what you want to do. But and you know... Gretchen has committed himself to a single-tier health... Uh, you know, single-tier system which he was saying at the Liberal Convention. I'm, well, that's the end of health care in Canada. Well, sir, he's, what do you mean he's committed himself to that? They very quietly passed a change in regulations uh, for, for physicians that allowed them to work simultaneously in public hospitals and private hospitals. That laid the groundwork for what Klein is doing. And, and quite frankly, it is so hypocritical for anybody to take what the pri- Prime Minister says Well, what is hypocritical is saying that you want a single-tier health care system. Um, you know, a caller once called on this show saying that, you know, why would I dare to say to privatize things during an election? I said, well, the other politicians aren't saying they're privatizing everything, but behind your back they are, because they have to. It's the only they way don't things have work. to. Sure they do. If we keep no, doing what don't. we were doing, a it's going to get worse. A single-payer system is less expensive. As soon as you start getting all these players in, particularly private insurers... To whom is it less expensive? To the citizens. Well, uh, uh, I can't. I mean, it's you 14... No proof of that. Yes, we do. No, we look you at the percentage you, of the GDP... The percentage of the GDP that is spent on health care in the United States, which is privatized, where 43 million people have absolutely no insurance, and about 80 million people have less insurance than they think they have when they actually have a catastrophic incident. No and they pay, and it's more than 14.5% of their GDP going to paying for health care. Ours is at 9.1. And interestingly enough, Jim, the, the Australian plan is at 8.16. And, and the interesting so part there is, is, the interesting part there is they have complete pharmacare. And that's where they save the money because they can put the pressure on the drug manufacturers. They, they, they make them... Um, uh, supply uh, drugs because it's it's all public yeah. in terms of they that. They make them supply the drugs they have Here, today, but I also understand that the R&D on drugs in Australia is nowhere near what it is in North America. I think that's true, and I think that's one of the reasons we haven't moved in that direction, because that particular problem hasn't been resolved. This is Left, Right, and Center. Bob uh, alluded a moment ago to calls to the program, and you are certainly welcome to join our discussion at any time. 643-1290, star-1290, the Rogers AT&T cellular network. We'll be back with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz right after this. Right in the center with Bob Metz and Marion Boyd. Marion, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we, we talk 
on this program, we've talked a number of times about uh, various things and privatizing and not privatizing. And, and I know your ongoing concern is that costs are going to go up. Absolutely, and, and that people won't have access. Okay. Access is, is every bit as important as okay. cost to me. But I'm wondering why it's inevitable, why you see it costs going up as being inevitable. And I'll use the example of VCRs that we were talking about during the break. Um, the VCR industry certainly operates in as close to a free trade uh, mode as anything around the world, those kind of electronics. I mean, they're made everywhere now. You can buy them from, from a dozen different countries. And the result is that a machine that would have cost us $1,000 10 years ago cost us $100 today. Why then should we assume automatically that if we, if we throw any public area open to the private market, open to the free market, that costs are inevitably going to rise? We've, we've got example after example of just the opposite happening, in at least in terms of goods, goods and services. Uh, the freer the market gets, the lower the price goes. Well, first of all, there's a difference between goods and services, and there's certainly a difference between healthcare and consumer products. I know with the language that's being used is all about us as consumers of healthcare. Consumer mm -hmm. assumes that we actually can choose whether or not we need healthcare. Mm -hmm. When we get sick, we need healthcare. Mm -hmm. That's not a choice. Uh, well, I suppose we could choose to die or choose to become disabled, but I mean, most people would see that not as a choice, like I can buy a VCR or I don't have to buy a VCR. Mm -hmm. We need our health in order to live. So first of all, I think that there's, it's a fallacy to talk about healthcare as though it's a consumer product. And it's one of the things that a lot of us worried about with the free trade deal, talking about goods and services as though they were the same thing, mm -hmm. because they aren't when it comes to healthcare or education to those kinds of human services. They may be when we're talking about processing checks or when we're talking about uh, some of the data um, collection and, and, and input that we talk about. But healthcare and education are not consumer products in the same way, and they shouldn't be treated but, the same but way. Why does, so that's number one. But why does well, first of all, that's, that's wrong. That's just patently wrong. They are consumer products. People work in them in jobs just like anybody else works in a job, offers a service, and in a free market, should be competing. For example, doctors should be competing with other doctors. Remember, a free market is not just a profit system. It's a profit and loss system. And the loss part of that is very, very important, that we weed out the inefficiencies. That's where you get your, your, your return and your efficiency into a free market system. And that's why it works on every other product and service that, that could possibly exist. And that's why we see prices coming down always continuously in an area where government is not regulating or not stagnating let me, the let economy. Me, let me continue since, since Jim asked me the question. I, I fundamentally disagree with you on that issue, but let me just go back to the other. You claim that because there's no uh, competition that prices don't go down in healthcare. That's not true. In fact, we see the very same thing. We see improved um, uh, surgical techniques all the time that reduce the, the, the costs in the long term. But those we are a consequence of our, our healthcare delivery measures system. that, of course it is. Those are a consequence of, of development and research done all around the world that we happen to make Which take advantage of. Which is part of our medical And usually service. most of that happens in the least regulated, least socialized medical systems. That, I, I, I challenge you, and I think anybody working in the healthcare system in London, which purports to be a bio biotechnology uh, uh, incubator, uh, that, that when, you, when you make that kind of a statement. I'm not saying that you can't have development things done when you pour government money into it. I'm just saying there's better ways of doing it. 
And we're not talking about the research level of anything right now. That well, should be I, I wasn't. Out of, I was talking about the, the delivery about of services. Consumer. Well, I want to come but, back you know, to, to where I want to come back to where we're There's a contradiction here, though. Marion keeps complaining that the state spends more money than we do on health care, and yet every time it's back to our domestic situation, what we always need is more government spending and more money I in the health care I haven't said that. System. As a matter of fact, so I have So you think we should spend less? I have not said that this morning. Should we cut back more on, on health care spending? Not until we have the savings and costs that we could have if we were serious about prevention issues. Well, then why don't we just... Oh, another, but, that, but that's another whole if issue If we were now. serious about tobacco yeah. control, yeah. if we were serious about alcohol control, well, now you want, if we were serious about mean? early screening for a whole lot of diseases and could mm -hmm. prevent those heavy costs at the crisis end, mm -hmm. we'd be in a... In, in, but those heavy costs... We would save a lot of money. should be borne mm -hmm. by the patients, not by the society at large. I mean, that's where the ultimate cost should be borne by. And if, if, we, if, if those people the cost had now, private Bob. health insurance, it would all be taken care of, and you and I wouldn't have to sit here worrying about And lots of people them. would never be able to afford the level of, pub, of private health insurance that would meet their people? health needs. Why not just help the people in need? You always because want they never get system. helped. They never get help. Well, then they're you, not getting you help You ask now. the 80,000 people in the United States who think they're insured, and then week after week, hundreds of them find themselves in situations where they suddenly have an illness, their coverage doesn't cover them, and they go bankrupt. And how there is that different from a Canadian who finds out he has to wait four or five years to get into a, a Canadian hospital, so he goes to the States instead and still mortgages his house and still has to do everything to pay for health care services? How is it any different? All you're doing... Is, well, is now we're waiting four or five years, are we? Well, I mean, really. whatever it may be. I've heard of all kinds of cases. Well, I want to back up that's, just a little that's bit. That's all urban myth. But right. I want to back up a little bit here, Marianne, about the, uh, um, about the problem in the States. And, and again, I'm always nervous when we start talk, comparing the American system to ours because it's so different. That's right. Everything's different about it. And people say, well, see, that's why private medicine doesn't work because it doesn't work in the States. Lots of things don't work in the States. But those individuals you talked about who suddenly discover that their, that their health care insurance doesn't cover it, isn't there a certain level of personal responsibility there? Those policies don't change overnight. They just don't know what the policies are. Isn't but the it, insurance companies control, the insurance companies control many of the health management organizations. Mm -hmm. they, they're owned by Liberty yes. Health, and yeah. they're owned by those things. Yeah. Those health insurance companies um, control the doctors. And if you listen to Canadian doctors, they'll tell you mm -hmm. that they don't want to work in a managed health care system mm -hmm. because an insurance uh, bureaucrat decides whether somebody gets Who a test what? or not. Yeah. And, and, and that's where the money comes in. So you want a government uh, that, bureaucrat to decide? No, what, I what want the, the physician to decide. But that's not the system we have now, that's Mary. In the system happens. now, the government bureaucrat decides. The other way. Well, I think uh, certainly to, the, to, to some extent that's true. When you look a bit at your example with the, the cataract mm -hmm. thing, uh, there, there is an element of that. But not to any extent the way it is in the United States, quite so, frankly. So is there a model anywhere that we can look at? Or, or what prevents us from creating our own model here that would combine the best elements of all the systems politics. around there and, and, and get rid of the worst elements? But even politics. I mean, who, who wins in the system we have today? I How do the, the politicians get I think get that's exactly what the Minister of Health is trying to do. He's trying to get all the ministers of health around a table and say, look, Let's really look at whether there needs to be a redesign. I mean, when Cretchen blows off and says there's not going to be any change in the Health Act, that's not what the health minister has been saying, mm -hmm. and it's not what Cretchen has been saying mm -hmm. when he urges the health ministers to come around the table. Mm -hmm. I think there does need to be some creative thinking about how we do it. What we do now is we pay physicians on, on a piecemeal basis. Mm -hmm. They do piecework, mm -hmm. okay? They, they, there are very few codes in OHIP that actually pay the physician for the kind of preventive work, the kind of, of, of 
very important work they can do to prevent mm. the end and, and, and illness. And, and, and that ought to be changed. Yeah, and incidentally, the majority of physicians would prefer the kind of model you're talking Absolutely about. They're they not would. happy today. Absolutely. Well, see, in order to change OHIP, though, you've got to go through a complete political process. In the private market, if you don't like the insurance company you're dealing with, you can switch to another one. If, if they'll insure you, because they, they, they refuse you. to insure when somebody's switching from another, another, another insurance company because they assume, and that all this pre-existing condition stuff gets in the way. If you have you now, Jim, have a health condition mm -hmm. that is a pre-existing condition, mm -hmm. you try and get Impossible. insurance. My you father, will never get well, insurance. My, my, my father-in-law had quadruple bypass in the states, and he got insurance, and you can buy insurance. But he paid through the nose for it. Not as much as we pay. That's what surprised me. His mm -hmm. his premiums were still cheaper than what the average person in in, in Canada pays. Mm -hmm. I mean, and if you want to see the stats what on the lineup... What do you mean, up, the average... As far as what our health care system... Every man, it? woman, and child in Canada is paying $200 a week on our health care system. That's phenomenal. Can you imagine the, the, the private health care <laughs> plan you could buy for 200 bucks a week? There would be no such premium anywhere. You look at the story of the people in Australia who are paying $1,500 a month to try and get insured because of the problems that that are similar to to what we're talking about this is left right and center with marion boyd and bob Matz. we're going to pause for a news update we will return and the lines are open too if you'd care to join our discussion this morning six four three twelve ninety you're listening to twelve ninety cjbk and here's tara clow with the latest news hey. jim chapman your genial of somewhat truncated host <laughs> wanted to use that for a long time a friend of mine uh, i was talking to a few weeks ago we were talking about uh uh, we were teasing each other about our physical size, and because he's a big guy and I'm a little guy, and he used the word truncated. You're kind of truncated today, so I'm your truncated co-host today. Uh, Marion Boyd is with us. Bob Metz is with us on left, right, and center. We were talking about health care before we broke for news. There, I want to put a question to the two of you, and um, and Bob, I'm going to ask you not to tell me just to privatize everything, because it isn't going to happen. I know you and I've disagreed about that too, but given the realities of the system today. Are there, are there steps, and I put this to both of you, are there steps we could take towards meaningful reform of the system that would make it work better? And if there are, what would those steps be? And Bob, I'll ask you first. Well, if my parameter is that I can't suggest privatizing Well, you anything. can suggest it, but you and I both know it's not going to happen. So how do we, at least it's not going to happen. Well, then I can only tell you it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Are there no time. ways to make it nope. better? Nope. I mean, gravity goes down, not up and sideways or any other way that people want to think they can make it go. Um, you know, I think we have to question the fundamental purpose of the Canada Health Act. Is it to provide quality health care or is it to provide equity in health care? And I think you can't choose one over, or, the other, or both of them. You can't have both. You have to choose one or the other. And so far, they're choosing equity. They would rather that the poorest person in Canada has the same access to a doctor as the richest person rather than have a two-tiered or a three- or a multi-tiered system where people who pay their own way can pay their own way, and the only people we help are the people who need help. And that's the system we but should be But who are on. the people who need help? How do we determine who they are? They have to ask for it. So simply because it doesn't matter how I got there as long well, as I'm there. whoever's providing the help will have their own criteria, I can assure you, whether it's a private uh, helping agency, whether it's even the government. But certainly we have to have some kind of criteria. But how do we take care of those people who are incapable of taking care of themselves? And I'm not talking about the disabled here. I'm talking about those individuals in our community. Well, and all, all, three, all three of okay. us know they're out there who, for whatever reason, just do not have the capability to be as responsible for themselves as we, would, as we meaning society, would like them to be. Well, then you make sure that they're the only ones in the safety net and that the rich and everybody who's able to do isn't in the safety net with them which is the way universal health care works. Everybody's in the safety net. Nobody's holding it up. It's 
supposedly the people in the net are holding it up, too. And we are. We're and, doing a uh, good job of it. And <laughs> uh, But in any case, I, do, I, I would disagree there. I'm saying that, that there are better ways to deliver. When people have to wait two years to get cataract surgery, when people have to wait for, for anything, you shouldn't have to wait. In a free market, you should walk in and get your service almost immediately. Well, of uh, you know, short of, of a war or some tremendous calamity like an earthquake or something like that, um, we should never be talking you know, lineups and, and waiting and things like that. And I think we should be only directing our assistance to people who need it and who can demonstrably show that they do need it. And who pays for that? Whoever. Who pay, I'm, who, like, even if it's the government, I say it's the last resort. You, you put me in this box, so mm -hmm. I'm giving an answer. You get rid of universality. Absolute must. People who can pay their own way, get, you know, do it. Get, get private insurance. Uh, pay, your, pay direct if you want. Do they get their taxes reduced as a result? Not necessarily. It may or may not have anything. I'd like to see the taxes reduced, but uh, even if they weren't, I would still say we'd be better off by letting them, you know, put well, the more next, money into the, the next, system. The next, the next demand would be, as it was in Australia, that there be a uh, tax cut for people who are paying uh, private insurance. Mm -hmm. And that's what they do in, in, in Australia. There's a 30% tax cut. But shouldn't there be or though people who have to buy uh, who, who buy so the I insurance mean, companies yeah, the insurance companies are the only ones that benefit. They're all crazy in Australia anyway. We, we know that for starters. Would you no, want to live in Australia? It, uh, well, but it's one of the systems. I mean, the, it's the system that Ralph Klein says he wants to model healthcare yeah. on in Alberta. Yeah. So yes, we have to look at Australia and we have to look at the reality of Australia, what, not the myth of Australia. But what's wrong with uh, if they were to change the system in Canada and and say, okay, as Bob says, we are going to provide healthcare. And, uh, and, and I always liked, I like to predicate every discussion about this by saying I don't think there's any reason why we have to always assume the worst. Let, let's assume if we're going to talk about a model, let's make sure that whatever model we move to is the best. So let's say we're going to have a model where the best quality health care is still available to those people who are disadvantaged for whatever reason they can't do it. But why then, if you or I, Marion, who, are, who, who can afford to pay the premiums on the, on the insurance policies and we're going to set up companies that are not allowed to cut us off from insurance just because they feel like it, so we're going to solve that problem south of the border. Oh well, so you're going to you're going to actually you're going you're going to have free enterprise, but you're going to you're going to put limits on it anyway. Well, absolutely, I'm not a, I'm okay. not a total free trader like Bond okay. is. Okay, so we've got a situation then where you've got these people uh, who we're going to take care of through our tax revenues. Surely, the amount of taxes we're paying now to provide health care for the whole country aren't needed to provide health care for that minority. So why wouldn't we get a tax cut? If we're all paying today, if our taxes go to pay health care for everyone, and now we're going to move to a model where the only people who are going to get free health care are the people who really need it. And are we going to be willing to pay when we're not getting it? That's what happens when you privatize systems. Well, we're paying because for education. Because what happens is, and it's exactly what... Issue in taxes. And we're paying for education. Pay, we're paying for domain. general taxation. And employers are the ones paying. I don't have any kids, burden. and I have to pay education Hold it, guys. And the whole paying. issue of privatization is an issue around if I pay for it, I shouldn't have to also pay for it. With, with, for it through my taxes. And that's what you see, is the pressure by the people who pay for it privately to reduce and reduce and reduce the amount of money that's there to take to, 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 to fund the safety net. Yeah, but isn't, that, isn't that where government comes in, though? I mean, The whole purpose of universality is to put everybody in the same box and make us all understand that it's important to all of us to support the health care for all of but us. But it doesn't matter if we, it doesn't matter if, it doesn't matter if we understand. The government does it anyway. I mean, government does what it wants. Well, governments get elected by people. Yeah, there hasn't do. been a government elected in this country that will touch uh, Medicare and quite frankly, I don't think even reform mm -hmm. would go very far. You pointed out they not very so long publicly. ago, not very long ago, 
that there between 60 and 80 percent of people in Canada, no matter what survey you look at, think that universal Medicare is is the crown jewel mm -hmm. of Canada. Mm -hmm. No political parties can take that on, even with all the pressure from the National Post and the Fraser Institute and all the rest of it. No, because people that that is not, not right an yet. electoral but it's not, but, issue. But it's not. I, with the greatest of respect to each of those people who was polled, I don't think that what they support is universal health care. I think what they support is health care for themselves when they need it. They want to know that when I get sick, I'm going to be taken care of. I really don't think they give a hoot about the guy next door. I don't. I don't think that's true. I. I. I I'm not as cynical as you are about my neighbors. I don't think that's true. Well, I, and quite I like. I my think. Neighbors, I think. In fact, as we find more and more people aging in place in our neighborhoods, and look at the needs for health care for people whose income is fixed and and in fact may be dwindling, and look at what what the reality for them would be if there weren't universal health care. I think it changes our, our minds, but, but and, 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 and a growing number of us okay. are in that situation. If then, if the, if the people are as altruistic as you think, then where is the, where's the danger? Where is the danger in opening up the system, privatizing it for those who want it, and saying to the people like you and me, who do care about our neighbors, listen, you've got to continue to pay this level of taxation to provide the services for these people here who cannot look after themselves. Are you, you and they have to come begging for it. And you know that many older people well, live in live. Why in do they have to beg for it? I mean, my they, they my would, system, well, because my they'd have to qualify, and that's the whole problem. One of the things that the task force that the public health department has on senile squalor is that seniors have always been self-sufficient, mm -hmm. and they will not apply for assistance because they have all these built-in feelings that they ought to be able to look after well, themselves. So do, and so, so do we maintain an entire system from coast to coast? Because no, of the, it's just because one of that one of issue, it. one element of it, Jim, a single tier, single payer healthcare system costs less and delivers more services to the to the the largest number of people well, of any system, and it's it's been shown again and again. Even 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 the farthest right wing people have a hard time I think with what the you're, fact that it costs you're, you're less to do it with a oranges. single a single payer system. I agree that the social healthcare system delivers more services because a private healthcare system would never give you free medicine just wouldn't happen and therefore when you have a quote free system and it's free to the user it's the non-users who pay in our system no it's it's users and non-users whether non -users you end up in a pay. hospital ever in users your life you will still have paid two hundred dollars a okay, week okay but it's both of us who pay but that's not my issue the issue is that what the pro what the public health care system offers is something that no rational private system ever would do because we live in a world of limited resources so you can't just give them away and that's what we're doing with our health care system in an economic term. And yet you said we're before, creating Bob, an infinite demand. You said before we live in a world of infinite wealth. We can create it if we don't have government standing in the way yeah. and fixing it and saying this is all you can spend. You're not allowed to spend money on this. You're not allowed to get into that doctor's office. That's how you create the wealth. But when you have a law that says you can't, when you have a law that tells an insurance company that they can't compete with the government for a similar service, then where's wealth being created? It's not being allowed. Jim, let's look at the, the services that have been privatized. And we have privatized services, healthcare services in Ontario, things that have been delisted from the public mm -hmm. system. Things like cosmetic surgery. Um, I'm working on the Criminal Injuries Compensation Board. I see many people who have been injured as a result of criminal events in which mm -hmm. they're the innocent victim mm -hmm. of somebody's attack who have yes. been quite terribly disfigured yes. and cannot get that that dealt with under the the health system mm -hmm. 
And the reason that for that is... That should be dealt with under the justice system. The reason... Well, and it is partly that's why criminal injuries exist. Mm -hmm. We give them an award and it mm -hmm. enables them to, to, to deal with it. But if you look at, at, I mean, the reason it was delisted was because people were going, getting their noses uh, yeah. fixed and the little tucks under their eyes sure. and all this appearance stuff. And that's, that's voluntary. It's different from the kind of situation where someone, through no fault of their own, becomes disfigured. Mm -hmm. it, public ins or private insurance covers that if your disfigurement happens in a car accident provided that there's insurance. But those of us who are, are, are just individuals, child born with a, a, a wine mark, mm -hmm. for example, I mean, lives through their life if, if, if the family doesn't happen to have money. So when we, when, we, when we do delist things, we have effects on people's lives that probably in the long run cost us more. Simple solution. Simple solution for that put it within the purview of the uh, of the doctors or a doctor's review board. I agree with you. To say this, That's this, one of the changes that could be made in, in, in OHIP. Let's look at varicose veins. Varicose, well, do we have to? I don't want to look at varicose, varicose veins. Varicose veins are, are horribly painful for yes. people. They were delisted. There are but varicose veins. But this is in the system that you're advocating, Marion. Don't you see that continuing, that there's going to be more and more and more and, and, and more? And I'm saying that if we get, if we delisted. turn the thing around, if we really reform it and do the prevention stuff first, mm -hmm. why do people have varicose veins? There are a lot of reasons. But some of them could be prevented. Not all of them. Mm -hmm. Some of them could be prevented. But do people want, this is the other big side of the whole healthcare thing to me. I'm with you on that, Marion. I think that that it would be wonderful if we could prevent a lot of the conditions that, that surface today. But you have to ask yourself whether people, the individual individuals, consumers I almost said, are interested in prevention. We know you shouldn't smoke cigarettes. Millions of people still smoke them. We know you shouldn't eat a lot of fatty food. People still do that. We know you should exercise and watch your weight. The majority of Canadians do neither. Uh, you know, the information is already there. The prevention information is already there. And many people on an individual basis say, I'd rather have this cigarette than worry about it. I'm going to have those two cheeseburgers and fries because that's what I want to eat. Go away. Don't bother me. Is it reasonable to assume that we're going to be able to affect their behaviors that way? Is it going to, I mean, is it going to be cost effective or cost efficient to try and get these people to change their attitudes? Well, people made the same argument about vaccination. Vaccination has sa saved thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives. People made the same, the same argument against universally vaccinating children. Yeah, but we forced, we forced them to do it. If we, but, for, if we forced this, if we said you can't buy uh, hamburgers anymore, you can't buy french fries anymore, we, we, you know, yeah, okay, we'd make a difference. Well, in fact, one of the things we could do is control the fat content of those things. You know that they're, they're, they're because it, 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 it suits consumers more, they're, they're more and more going to a low-fat mm -hmm. delivery. Um, but that could well, be required. What about required. people who like their junk well, food? I remember one of the fast food chains had French fries that I really liked because they were junky. But mm -hmm. I didn't eat them regularly. Mm -hmm. I'd eat them once or twice a year, mm -hmm. and that's why I went there. And then when they got healthy, I didn't like it anymore. <laughs> you know. So do I, as a consumer in Marian society, am I not allowed a choice like that just because somebody's deemed it might be a risk to my health? I don't know. It's the argument well, for prohibition, isn't it? The people who can handle their liquor is you know, too bad. The people who do the most harm in the world are, are the do-gooders. Yeah. We're going to go to the phones now, 643-1290, and uh, Ron joins us. Hello, Ron. Good morning, yes, everyone. Morning. Hi. Uh, I would like to ask a question. I never understood why it happened, and I would like to know why there's a difference now than there was about 25 years ago, maybe, maybe a touch more. That I, I can remember I used to curse up and down every time I got my paycheck because I used to see this money going out for OHIP premiums 
that came off my paycheck. And now we're not paying for it anymore. And I don't think it was a lot of money every month that came off my paycheck. But I, I'd like to, I'd just like to listen to your comment on that. It what became the difference is now from then, and I think that was the Bill Davis government that was in at that no, time. No, it was the Liberals. Peterson. 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 It, was, uh, it became an employer tax. Um, so your employer, it's part of the employer tax uh, structure in Ontario. So every employer, depending on the number of employees, is assessed a certain amount to pay for OHIP insurance. And, and another thing to note, too, that is e even when we were paying those premiums, which averaged about $30 a person per month, uh, that still only covered about 12% of the, the, the cost of the health care system. The other, you know, and it cost a lot to collect. Was, and it cost a lot to yeah. collect. But the other 80-some-odd percent was uh, still being paid for out of general revenue. And the other part of it, uh, Ron, was that in, with, with that kind of a system, if you didn't happen to be employed, then you didn't necessarily have health coverage because you only got your card through your employer. And so it, the, the purpose of doing it was, first of all, to, to streamline the system so that the collection was, was less expensive, and two, to make sure that everybody was covered, that everybody who had the, the eligibility in terms of residency in Ontario uh, was, 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 was automatically covered and could get a, a health card. There's the answer, Ron. Thanks for your call today. Jack's up next. Hi, Jack. Hi, good morning. Morning. I just like to talk about this uh, this health thing. Uh, uh, I don't know whether uh, we came from down. Uh, we've been down south for about three months, and uh, you got to be there to see how this privatized uh, right. only works. And uh, um, they had a, a show there on 60 Minutes, and there were, uh, this woman had gone into uh, to the or to a, a doctor's office, and the doctor. Um, she didn't realize it at the time, but the doctor, he's on this HMO, and he gets a, a commission for every time he can save him a buck. So uh, what they did, uh, he looked at her, and the hospital that he in that town charged more to the HMO. So he sent her to a, another hospital 50 miles away, and when she got there, like uh, she's all bent over in pain, she had a appendicitis, and, the, and it broke and uh, peritonitis set in. So consequently, she almost died. And uh, this uh, interviewer on 60 Minutes was saying that, uh, well, you know, that's a terrible thing. Did you sue them? And she said, yeah, I sued the doctor. But she said, my lawyer said, that's not the way to go about it. You sue the supplier, the HMO. And as soon as you do that, some of the doctors, it turns out, are making 100 grand a year on uh, kickbacks. Sure. And you'll never get insurance again. If, no, you, that's sue, right. if, if you sue yeah. the HMO, you'll never get insurance again. And that's what people are finding. And, uh, you know, it's not just that people are being disallowed because of pre-existing conditions. But if they complain, they yeah, get kicked out done. of the HMO and nobody else will accept them. And they don't have any health care at all. And we have a friend from Kentucky. And he, in Kentucky, the rates are cheaper than Florida. So uh, he took out a plan, which was a million-dollar lifetime coverage. And he's a guy about... Uh, 40, 47 years old when he took it out, and he said, well, a million dollars should last me for a year. Well, then he got some serious illnesses in Florida, mm -hmm. and they were into almost a half a million dollars. Yep. So uh, after you, you think, boy, half a million dollars is gone just like that, and uh, down the road, you're going to look at I'll, I'll, uh, where you're going to get it. Because like you say, once you have uh, uh, had a big claim, you're out of it. They That's don't right. want you no more. You, can, you can't increase your insurance to, to cover yourself. Exactly. Well, now, let's look at the other side of the coin. Suppose that same doctor is in Canada, 
and the government's cutting back the amount of money that they're giving to his clinic, don't you think he's going to be making the same kind of choices? He's going to say, well, I don't know if I'm going to give this particular patient the full amount of care because I have to save so many dollars for the next patient. Well, I don't know about your well, he idea. He gets paid if he provides the services. Yeah, he's on a piece. Your idea seems <laughs> to me that you're just looking out for this, well, like the one tier. It's not working in Australia if you read the, the Toronto Star in the weekend. I exactly. don't, well, you know, I and don't it, know what that means, that it's not working. It might not be giving the service that people who expect free universal service expect. And it costs 4% expect. more. That's right. It costs 4% more That's in the right. hospital. And, and, well, for example, take a look at Hawaii, for example, about 10, 12 years ago. They brought in the employer health tax, only they did it differently. They, everyone was forced to have private insurance. They didn't bother going to a state-run insurance plan, which is basically what we have. Uh, and uh, apparently they say it's much more efficient, but you still have to be forced but, but you to can still be de-insured. You can yeah. still be de-insured. No, the legislation prevents that. That's the whole point of, of the whole legislation. Yeah, but then what you do is uh, you create a, a, an elite society. Now, mm -hmm. you had a case here not too long ago. I called in, uh, I think I talked to Jim about it, when uh, Eugene Whalen uh, was having heart problems. Yes. Right to the head of the line. Yep. And uh, not well, because he was wealthy, system. but because he had the pull. Right. And, and that's, that's what happens right. under a political system. Sure. Well, I mean, but that's not right. But it's that would be the same uh, in a privatized thing. First thing uh, off the bat with a privatized system, you'd have to get some yo-yo at the top, and you'd start off at a half a mil to pay him. So before you've done anything, there's a half a million dollars. Well, if you're going to start and talking about spending money. go down uh, the line will be in there. They're, they're, we already got those guys. We yeah, call I them government bureaucrats. Do, but, but you're not going to change it the way he's talking. Uh, Jack, appreciate your call. We've run out of time today. Uh, my thanks to both my guests. Uh, Jim, Jim, just so people know, yes. tonight at 7 o'clock yes. at the Dearness Home, yes. the Canadian Coalition, Health Coalition yes. is having a meeting on privatization of health care. I think people might be interested. It's open to the public. Perfect timing. 7 o'clock at, at the Dearness Home. 7 o'clock at the Corner of Wellington and Southdale, not right. far from where we are right now. Robert, are you, are you going to be there, Marion? I am. Are you appearing anywhere tonight, Bob? No, I'm not planning to be anywhere. Okay. All right. Thanks to both of you. Um, yeah, next week, Left, Right, and Center, we'll be back to talk about another issue of the day. If there's something you'd like to have discussed by our panel, may by all means let us know. Uh, we're always looking for interesting story ideas, so if there's something you'd like to hear discussed, uh, you can uh, e by, you know, email, call, all of that stuff. Do whatever you like, uh, as long as you get in touch with us. Thanks, Marion. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Jim. Stay tuned. Ask the experts with Bud Polhale up right after these messages.